Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. I'm sorry for the small delay to start the program, but I pressed the wrong button. I do that once in a while. Today is Friday, April 3rd, 2020. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Before I begin, I would like to say that Christagenia is going to have to acquire a new P.O. box, which we hope to do Monday. The post office at the west end of, the, of Panama City Beach was some sort of um, contract post office. It had been there a few years, but it's closing for some reason. I don't know why. And the... Next post office is an hour away, so I will probably go to a UPS store soon and put a new P.O. Box address <clears throat> on the website, hopefully by midweek. There'll be a change of address notice in there. If anybody wants to contact me by mail for any reason. This evening, I'm going to present a Wesley, Surf, uh, a Wesley Swift sermon titled The Day of Deliverance. Of course, I have expanded it by over several thousand words, so we might be here a while this evening. I felt that this particular sermon was very timely. While I have often criticized Wesley Swift for some of the fantastic tales that he spun, or because in his sermons he had often cited dubious and even nefarious sources as if they were authorities and fountains of truth. Frequently, Swift was on target and quite accurate in certain important areas. One of those areas was his early awareness of the descent of our nation into a state of tyranny and communism. Swift understood that as an ongoing process, and he also understood that many of the people would volunteer themselves into tyranny for the sake of a false sense of security, perhaps I should say in exchange for a false sense of security because the government is never going to be able to save you. But this is not a new phenomenon. The vaunted democracy of ancient Athens, and this is only one example, which certain combinations, as they were called, or special interest parties had always sought to undermine, was subverted several times during the Peloponnesian War where Thucydides, who was an Athenian general as well as an Athenian historian, had explained in Book 8 of his History of the War that after an oligarchy of certain wealthy Athenians was imposed, the people, hearing of the oligarchy, took it very heinously at first. But when Pisander, an Athenian politician, had proved Evidently, that there was no other way of safety. In the end, partly for fear and partly because they had hoped again to change the government, they yielded thereunto.
So the Athenians gave up their power, they gave up their democracy out of fear to an oligarchy of the wealthy. When the oligarchy failed a couple of years later, Pisander, whose proofs were evidently only propaganda for the elites of his time, had been attacked by the poets for corruption and cowardice, and he was also ridiculed for being fat. So he, sled to the, he fled to the enemy, to Sparta, and he was convicted of treason in absentia. The Athenians were able to recover their democracy, but it was in a modified form, and ultimately they were defeated by the Macedonians in 338 BC, and a short time had later had, in effect, lost it forever. However, when tyrannical laws are imposed on Americans in the name of security, the process never seems to be reversed, the culprits are never punished, and the government grows more and more powerful. Now, with the coronavirus scare and the accompanying fear porn that has paralyzed the nation, the lemmings who readily sell their freedom in exchange for security may finally end up completely enslaved. But Wesley Swift already saw that as an ongoing process in 1965 when he gave this sermon. Therefore, I thought it timely to present and perhaps even offer a critique of this sermon as the pande pandemic heightens. But in the end, Swift's message is one of hope and of hope in Yahweh our God which is the only hope we have. That should now be evident to us all. Whether or not this coronavirus is the final disaster which pushes the West over the brink to the fall of Babylon remains to be seen. But eventually, the true children of Israel will have no other choice but to recognize that their only hope is their God, and for that, they must be obedient to him. I am not saying that this coronavirus is not a real disease, but no virus or epidemic should cause Christians to react in fear or to capitulate and surrender their liberties in fear. Regardless of how bad any external threat may be, Christians should not fear, but rather they should trust in Yahweh their God. But since at least most people react to the media, conducting their lives according to what they are told on the television, and obey the government blindly, even when it forces them to do things which are contrary to the will of their God, it is evident that they continue to worship Baal rather than Christ. Rather appropriately, even ironically, as soon as the controlled media began to spread the news of a pandemic several weeks ago, the first thing most people did was go out to the stores and buy all the toilet paper, cleaning off the shelves in the marketplaces. 
That alone proves that we live in a nation full of assholes and pussies. Only certain products in the food stores were sold out, were partially sold out days after the toilet paper was gone. In the early days of the coronavirus news reports, the flu was being promoted as a pandemic long before any significant portion of the population was affected. Today, even in China where it began, the number of deaths are comparatively small compared to the annual influenza. But I do not trust any of the numbers. You really cannot know what to believe. The Chinese have already been accused of trying to capitalize on the situation with propaganda. I have seen reports from cities of empty hospital emergency rooms where the media is reporting the opposite. So far in the United States, there were supposedly about 6,000 deaths attributed to this disease. I really think the number, uh, that, that was what I read this morning. I really think the number might be a little closer to 7,000 this evening. But even that is far lower than the typical number of people killed by the influenza virus each year. The controlled, controlled, I'm sorry, the controlled mainstream media can never be trusted. But much of the so-called alternative media cannot be trusted either. Even identity Christians are often prone to being deceived by some YouTube personality who seems to be well-informed. Many of those so-called truthers are themselves being manipulated and sometimes even financed by the Russian, Chinese, or Iranian governments or by Western or American special interests. I'm sure the CIA finances some of them. I'm sure the Mossad or the Israeli state or Jews on Wall Street finance some of these truthers. But the foreign nations, the foreign governments do it. The Russians, Chinese, and Iranians do it to help sow dissension and undermine faith in the American political system or to manipulate so-called conspiracy theorists to their own advantage. I'm sure George Soros funds many of them. Many of these truthers are crypto-Jews or other egoists only seeking to make a name for themselves. Some of them may have good discernment in some areas, but most of them only sit at home, search Google for information, and jump to conclusions. But regardless of who they are, when they make mistakes and call the wrong shots, all of their errors are swept down the memory hole and they start fresh with some new scheme, plot, or conspiracy. There are already all sorts of conspiracy theories regarding coronavirus, from Chinese biological weapons to accidentally leaked laboratory experiments to eating bats and dogs. All of them are made to sound credible, but we can be sure of none of them 
because in the end, we cannot trust any of the worldly sources. We, meaning identity Christians, identity Christians should have absolutely no faith in any worldly entity. For that reason, concerning worldly events, Christians should always remain skeptical. Put it on the back burner. Always remain skeptical while not being too concerned about anything they cannot directly find the truth of for themselves. Now, many politicians had reacted at an early time to this media-induced pandemic, and their reactions were also media-induced. But regardless of whether the threat is serious or not, that has caused a panic, which may force millions of small businesses into bankruptcy, which may leave millions more people homeless or with their life savings and investments having been obliterated. Yet from the very beginning, virtually nobody had defied the government lockdowns and the accompanying deprivations of freedom and rights. They traded it all away for security. If Christians truly had faith in God, and of course, if they were obedient to their God, none of this would happen in spite of the fact that some people may die. On the other hand, if it is the appointed time for one to die, he or she is going to die in spite of any precautions that one may take to safeguard against sickness and death. It is the arrogance of man which leads him to believe that he can be in control when, in the end, he shall find that only God is in control and man has no power to do anything against him. So, here we present The Day of Deliverance by Dr. Wesley Swift. This sermon is dated January 15th, 1965. Now, I'm going to cast a shadow on that date later towards the end of this evening and and i'm not sure about that but that's another thing and you'll recognize it when i get to it another thing is that you can't even trust the soviet governments or dead and buried governments to be telling the truth about anything and i'll leave that for when we get there as we turn to our subject quoting wesley swift as we turn to our subject, we think of the condition which has developed in the last 50 years. Remember, this is 1965. So he's talking about since the end of the first or, or since just before the beginning of the First World War, just before American involvement. He probably seems to mean since the start of the Federal Reserve and at that time it was 52 years, right? As we turn to our subject, we think of the condition which has developed in the last 50 years that would seem almost impossible to the average student of prophecy, except that he has watched it and saw it come to pass. Think about all the 
deaths during the First World War, the Second Year War, under the oppressive Soviet regimes of the 1920s and 30s, the perversions of the Weimar Republic, the same perversions were introduced into the West, um, burlesque and, and jazz music and different um, forms of hedonistic lifestyles, and a lot changed from 1913 to 1965. But 10 times more than that has changed from 1965 to today. But Swift was awed by the changes of the 50 years of his own life. So he says, here we are, a great nation, a dedicated nation committed to the carrying of the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. We were to lift up the standards of God and to carry forward the purposes of the most high God. We were a nation who in the era of our operation, he's talking about the couple of hundred years since 19 or 1776, I gather, had extended ourselves from coast to coast. We had developed our raw material as we tended to the needs of our people. And as to the percentage of taxes which it took to run this nation, they were a very small part of our livelihood and of our income. In fact, for most of that history, there was no income tax and very few other taxes. When Swift wrote this, the income tax rate was only about 5% for the average American, as far as I can remember. In fact, during this time, during this time structure, this structure of the kingdom of God was growing and growing, and it seemed that the end of the age was not as close at hand as people had advocated that it might be. And later on, I will comment on Swift's equation of America with the kingdom of God, because I would say that, no, it's not quite there. I do not have an audio recording against which to check this transcription, so I have no choice but to rely on Ella Rose Mast, the woman who had done them originally. As I have said in the past, I received these transcriptions on a CD from Lorraine Swift through a common friend who was with her over the months before she had passed away. I won't put it in writing, but that friend was Ron Gardner, and I haven't spoke to him in a few years now, and I pray that he is well. To this sermon, I have already made a few corrections, but if there is anything I cannot correct without having a better understanding of the original sense of what was said, I will leave it alone. Swift spoke very fast, as anyone could tell who would go listen to the recordings of him which we have posted. He spoke very fast, very quickly, and I'm sure he was difficult to transcribe. Here in his first paragraph, it is evident that in 1965, Swift had thought the end of the age to be imminent, but now it has been another 65 years since he gave this sermon until today. And the end is still not in sight. Like Bertrand Compare, Swift also believed that the final battle would be fought within the paradigm of the Cold War. He died in 1970, so he did have an opportunity to see the youth of the West 
pushed into the debauchery and decadence which was promoted through the media and entertainment industry in the mid to late 1960s. If he could see conditions today, I'm sure he would admit that they are certainly far worse than even he could have imagined in 1965. So Swift continues. But in the midst of all this, there was an adversary working very hard. It even tried to rear its head out of the great waters, but it was eventually hidden. Not destroyed, but just hidden. This is communism. I want to point out to you that we have had quite a change in our relationship with the battle with communism. In fact, in the periods of time in which we have been engaged in this exposure of communism, we have had public speakers speak out against the message of communism, and they have been publishing papers and magazines on this subject. In fact, there has been an increase in what we call the right wing. In fact, we are well aware that in the right wing are those who are aware of the forces and causes of communism and the conspiracy of it all. In fact, the right wing recognizes that communism is peculiarly financed by Jewry, and that Jewry is behind communism all over the world. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but as an aside, communism was indeed rife. Communists were, had, had populated the cabinets in the Roosevelt administration. And much of what Swift calls here the right wing, much of those people, men and women, who were writing against communism during the Roosevelt administration and against the encroaching communism in the United States, were put on trial in what was called the Great Sedition Trial. And they were basically, they were never convicted or sent to prison, but they were basically tied up by the never-ending resources, the immense East resources of the federal government. They were tied up in, in the courts for two, three years so that Roosevelt effectively silenced all his opposition during the war. So there was nobody that had t much time to write about communism in America. In the years immediately after the Bolshevik Revolution, many American journalists and others were actually promoting Marxism as a workers' utopia, having been duped by the Jewish Bolsheviks into thinking that Russia was entering into some sort of golden age under their control. In that same way, China still promotes itself today and has its sympathizers throughout the Western media. But Swift is most likely referring to the more recent McCarthy hearings of the 1950s and the fact that communists in Hollywood and the media had to deny that they were communists. He continues, at the same time, with the apparent distrust going on between the Soviet Union and Israeli, and that's the way it was spelled, I don't have a copy of the audio for this sermon. I couldn't find one. 
that's the way it was spelled. And whether that's what Swift said or not, that's the way I will pronounce it throughout his sermon. At the same time, with the apparent distrust, apparent because it wasn't real, going on between the Soviet Union and Israeli, the world is prone to take a very dissident view of all of this, and they look toward Israeli, while Russia apparently is helping the Arab states. But they overlook the fact that not too long ago, the Jews were pushing and harassing the Middle East. It was Israeli who invaded Egypt, and at that time, Egypt couldn't get the material or the ammunition for the guns and equipment that they had acquired from the Soviet Union. Here Swift is referring to the Suez Crisis of 1956. The Israelis, along with Britain and France, had invaded Egypt in order to seize control of the Suez Canal. The venture failed under political pressure from both the United States and the Soviet Union, which was a strange alteration from the usual political alignment. It is true that most of the Arab states were on the Russian side of the Cold War, as they were enemies of Israeli. We will keep that form of the word which we found in the sermon as it is fitting and pronounce the final vowel in the matter that it should be, because the Jews in Palestine are indeed perpetuating a lie by claiming that they are the chosen people of the Bible when they are truly the children of the devil. Returning to Swift, in fact, if we hadn't frozen all the assets of Israel, Israeli, I'm sorry, I have some indigestion, they might have stayed in Egypt. We froze all the assets in the banks of the United States, and Israeli retreated out of Egypt. But in the era of the conditions that exist today, communism is Jewish to the core. Inside of Israeli, their whole society is built around the communist state. Its governing body is an organization largely comprised of all the operations of Jewry. The B'nai B'rith is a large contributor to the operation of this governing body of Israeli. But you look into this program and Histadrut Israeli, a collective society, Histadrut controls the growth of Israeli, controls the growth of plants and of orchards. It controls the wells and the drilling for water. It controls the areas of health and hospitalization and of Jewish labor. This is the organization to which all Jewish labor belongs. The children of Israeli are also controlled by this as their parents see them a few hours of the week, but they are virtually wards of the state. Now, there is uncertainty in a few places where Swift may have said era rather than area in his sermons, and the choice is not always clear. So I have edited a few of those places. Also, the word, the word histadrut was misspelled in the original transcription. 
where Ella Rose Mast attempted to spell it phonetically. That problem is found in a few of her transcriptions of Wesley Swift's sermons, and I am not always able to correct them, but this time I was. Here, Swift is using the example of histadrut to show that the Israeli state in Palestine was a collectivist society from its inception, although in pretense it was a democracy. Even Wikipedia admits the role of the histadrut, as it is called, in the formation of a completely socialist government, saying, among other things, that until Israel began moving away from a socialist economy, the histadrut, along with the government, owned most of the economy. This situation remained until 1983, when histadrut was at its peak, but the Israeli economy began to be deregulated and liberalized at that time. Nevertheless, histadrut remained a major political force until at least 1995, and it is still influential today as the largest organized trade union in the Israeli state. So in reality, the Israeli state was a collectivist state, a communist state, until after the mid-1980s. And it still is in many ways. Returning to Swift, he describes Israelis who were not under the control of his stadrut. And he says, except in Tel Aviv, where the wealthy Jews live, and where they come and go from all over the world, these are those who put their hands into your pocket and deliver your wealth, God's gold and silver, from all over the world to Israeli. These are Satan's children, and they are at the very seat of their operations at this time. Now, within the areas of world communism, we have discovered something rather different, even from what existed even 10 or 12 years ago. For at this hour, whereas the right wing became rather profuse in the areas of its literature, that during the last campaign, they came out with volumes of literature and information. There has been a Christian nationalist crusade by Gerald Smith, and there was McKinley's Common Sense and Merwin J. Hart with his Economic Council letter, and we could go on and on. But with this literature, the communist conspiracy became well-known within the United States. I didn't research McGinley or Hart. I don't really know of the works of those men. The campaign Swift was referring to must have been the election of Lyndon Johnson as president in 1964. That year, Johnson defeated Barry Goldwater, a Jew, who was credited with having sparked the resurgence of the American conservative political movement in the 1960s.
So Jews were in control of the popular opposition at that time, too. But Swift is referring to a different sort of right wing, as Gerald L.K. Smith was a Christian nationalist, a Christian identity pastor and politician who founded the America First Party in 1943. Elizabeth Dilling and many other notable names among right-wing dissidents were members of that party. I believe that Charles Lindbergh was also a member of that party. In fact, I'm sure that he was. Gerald O.K. Smith lived until 1976, and he is buried in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, near the monument he had built called Christ of the Ozarks. He had gotten his start in the 1930s with Huey Long, the first rival to Franklin Roosevelt, who was conveniently assassinated. This could be a long digression, but instead we will continue with Wesley Swift and perhaps save Gerald L.K. Smith for another night. He actually even published a volume of Henry Ford's The International Jew and had written a forward or a preface for it. It was a condensed volume. Swift says, of course, there are masses of people in our lands who do not pay attention to these things. They eat and sleep and go to work and come back and go into their caves again until the morning. But they don't think, they don't read, and they don't study. They only make their decisions from Facebook memes and the evening news. And these people don't want anything to do but to be left alone unless the government promises them more and more. And then they are ready for the handout. But they don't realize that we are in the hands of a continuing era of revolution. This situation, this situation has not changed today. In spite of the fact that the revolution of which Swift speaks is now far advanced, he thought it was bad then, but it is a hundred times worse now. So he continues, we are in an hour of grave concern. And God speaks out to the people of the nation. And he says, I have a remnant within the nation that has not bowed the knee to bow. And it is with this remnant that I shall deliver this nation. Now, there isn't any question of the fact, but that the right wing is a strong and powerful institution. We have had many, many years in these United States behind our freedoms, and people do not realize that we have lost them. In other words, Swift already understood in 1965 that Americans had lost their so-called Bill of Rights. Nor did they realize that the creeping trend of the socialist state is quite in keeping with the Soviet pattern of revolution. They are giving away areas of their liberty as they are offered government provisions with housing and the paying of their rent when they don't need it. 
and the government pays them when they don't work and supplies them with different things. But the whole program is that everything is coming from the government. And they say, oh, we get our share out of the government. It pays for this and that. But the Americans don't realize that the government doesn't produce anything. And here's the crux of the issue we face today, as the government now has all of America locked up in fear of a virus while the government itself will appear to the people as a savior in whom they place all of their own hopes for survival. Swift saw this in 1965 when it was still all relatively subtle, and the pattern of sacrificing liberty for a promise of security hasn't changed since the days of Thucydides. Continuing with Swift, he says the government is, the, is only the medium by which we support the administrative society which has the rule over us. And this is also insightful. The people are supporting those who rule over them by upholding the structure of the government. While those who rule over them, they're not even elected. These permanent bureaucrats are not even elected. They're appointed once, and they hold on to their appointments for life practically until they decide to try to move up to a better appointment. These permanent Bureaucrats, while the people support them by upholding the structure of government, rule over the people, but are not working in the interests of the people, but in their own interests or in the interests of whomever helped them to get appointed. Returning to Swift. And out of taxes comes that given out by the government. Yet people say, we don't care about this, of course, because they are only going to tax the rich and give it to the poor. But this isn't the way it works at all. It is the poor which pays the taxes. It is coming out of the areas of prosperity, out of the areas supposedly of government contract and so forth. However, the processes are rather strange. We are a nation which has produced more than any nation on the face of the earth, a nation which was the virtual arsenal of all the free nations during the periods of war, a nation which is not only capable of producing more, but distributing it as well. But suddenly, the great mills are coming to a stop, for we have priced ourselves right out of the market. Now, while we still pay taxes, they no longer really matter, as the government has been run on debt, and the people who cannot possibly pay all the taxes to maintain the debt pay it instead with recession, inflation, and debasement of the currency. But Swift is speaking of the deindustrialization of America, which began shortly after the Second World War and the labor union agitation of the 60s and 70s, 
which helped to make excuses for and to accelerate that deindustrialization. So he says, with these new wage increases, we are now moving beyond all areas of sensibility. But behind all this is the international bankers, the World Jewish Administration, which financed and controls the Federal Reserve System, which controls private banks, which are setting them up in Saigon and all over the earth. They are working to get today to get America to lose her ability to produce and to become a second or third rate nation. Under this area of strategy, we discover that as the right wing speaks out on this situation, they are held up as paranoid or crazy. So they create the semantic of the war to fight the right wing. And by that, Swift must have meant the Vietnam War. Swift evidently believed that the Vietnam War was created in order to make the right wing look bad. That was his opinion. That's evidently what he's expressing here. So that the right wing could be fought against and diminished. And if you really want to think about what happened during the mid to late 60s and early 70s, yes, after the Vietnam War, the conservatives in this nation and the so-called right wing, they did look foolish. They did look like fools. So perhaps Swift was right. I'm not going to say he was, but perhaps he was. I would need a lot more time to sit and contemplate that and examine it. So he continues, the policies of it are rehearsed in our colleges and the psychologists who are speaking there talk of the irresponsibility of the right wing and how it must be looked upon with a skew. But who are these psychologists? Predominant numbers of them are Jews brought in from Eastern Europe as exchange professors. They have had such an influence over our colleges, over our junior colleges, and even in our high schools, that over 50% of our colleges in the United States have a definite trend to the left. And, and this was 1965. And the same pattern has surfaced again today as the Jewish war on Christian society is advancing once again. White supremacists and white nationalists are being demonized in the media, even though they are the groups causing none of the problems. But today, perhaps 95% of our professors and, and college students are communists. Perhaps 95% of our school children have communist ideas and some degree of communist indoctrination to the point where a great number of our youth accept communism as a viable alternative. They love this Bernie Sanders and he's an avowed socialist and, and they just 
eat them up. They want to vote for them. They, they, I'm not saying all young people do, but a great number of them do. And we've met a great number of those people here in, or, in and around the Florida panhandle that blindly love Bernie and see him as some kind of viable alternative when he's an outright Jewish communist. Perhaps the coronavirus pandemic will make nationalism popular once again. In spite of the cries of the Jews, as the dangers of globalism are made evident in its spread. Maybe this pandemic can help us. I don't know. I can't tell the future, but maybe it can. But now Swift, speaking of the Jews and their communist bedfellows, says, more than this, we are to find that they are effecting the whole structure of our lives. We are importing in the areas of entertainment and in the areas of operation those who would flood into our country. These black immigrants are bringing in music with twisted Peculiar vibrations, which are affecting our youth in this society. Still, it is a minority that are teaching the beat, beat, beat into the brains of a nation. All of this is the product of a vibrant and very well extended area of revolution. In fact, the countries behind the Iron Curtain, in their revolution, they will not permit them, blacks, to come in but they are skillfully sending them in on you. And, and of course, we see the cries of open borders for Israel today because uh, many people see the hypocrisy. This was in 1965, and if only... Swift could have seen the inevitable outcome of his observations. The generations of white youth who, since the early 1990s, became enamored with hip-hop, and now we have country rap. White society has been nigrified. Yes, that's a word, nigrified. And now Negro beasts are practically worshipped as a superior species and sought out as mates by foolish whites. So Swift saw that coming in 1965, and he comes to the inevitable conclusion. We are in a time of trouble, in a time of Jacob's trouble. And Swift is certainly right about this. And I've actually given... Um, credence to this and, and exposited this in some of my Bible commentaries. And they have taken away our gold and they have taken away our silver. And then we discover that we are, of all people, only those who have no money in our pockets which belong to us. There is very little money that you ever see and say, this is United States money, the money of the United States government. We are doing business on borrowed money and at the expense of our society. Thus, the areas of this are not looking so good. We are providing armies that are sending our sons to foreign regions to carry on hostile activities against areas of communism. And yet the areas of communism are throwing up international revolutions and the false patterns of theology are coming in.
Buddhism is helping the communist as well as Hinduism, which is making inroads in areas of India and in all of the areas of the earth wherein there are pagan gods, pagan philosophies, witch doctors. Always in those same areas, they move toward communism. And Swift had one shortcoming, which he only hints at here, but which is more apparent in other sermons, which is that he thought that other races could be Christian and would be our allies if they remained Christian. With that, we strongly disagree. As we know, they are all from the mouth of the serpent. Swift didn't understand that. But we continue. But it is only a short period of time before we shall behold the end of the age. We point out to you that under this peculiar operation, we are discovering that more and more district attorneys and assistant district attorneys are Jews. Of course, they hire each other all the time. They operate as a crime ring. They favor each other, all while denying white Christians that same luxury. They've always done it. Jews have always operated as a crime ring. As soon as you point it out, they demonize you and cry anti-Semitism. Pay off some local politician or judge and have you shut down. That's how they do it. They've done it for years. Henry Ford writes about it. They were doing it in Europe before they did it in America. They are history's longest-running crime ring, no doubt. So Swift noticed this in the 1960s that the Jews were squeezing into all the district attorney, prosecutor, judge positions that they could, attorney general, everything they could get their hands on, whereby they can control the flow of law and order in society. And I'm probably digressing too much. More and more of them are getting into positions of judgeships. It is harder and harder to get justice in the courts of the United States. You cannot say any longer that justice is blind. You can no longer say that we can depend on the status of the law, that the law will defend and protect us. But now they don't pay any attention to the law. They're either setting it aside, setting it aside or making up new laws for whatever matter is before them. And they actually have creative ways of doing that through what they call case law. No justice, I'm sorry. No, justice in the United States is not blind. Justice has become a very peculiar pattern. And what we are witnessing, even in areas of the Supreme Courts of our states, as the Jews go on the court, then the court becomes corrupt. And the areas of justice are supplanted by the area of this invasion. And we are, of all people, the most undone. Jesus, when asked what the signs of his coming would be, said, one of the things they're going to do is to deliver you up to the synagogues and to prison. There is little question about the fact that the masters of the synagogues will deliver you up to the judges and the judges will put you in prison if they can. 
don't I know that? However, God does speak out about this operation. He says, they shall lay hands on you and they shall persecute you. They shall deliver you up to the synagogues and to prisons and bring you before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall serve you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your heart what you're going to answer. And where it says, settle it, therefore, in your heart, the scripture says the opposite. But this may have been an error in transcription, as it is corrected by Swift himself, where he continues. Therefore, he said in Luke chapter 21, verses 14 and 15, Settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and words of wisdom which your adversaries are not able to gainsay or resist. Now Swift continues by paraphrasing. You shall be betrayed by some whom you thought were your kinsmen and your friends, but even some of you may be put to death as well. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. In your patience you possess your souls. If you speak out and continue the attack in my name. As he responds to the admonition in these scriptures, which certainly are relevant today, he anticipates that the end of the age would be a lot sooner than what has now come to pass. In a very short period of time, we are going to see the deliverance of God's day. Many say, what is the sign of the deliverance by the Most High God? Well, God has spoken out about this era of time in the book of Joel. He has told us about the signs in the heavens and in the earth, of the blood, the fire, the pillars of smoke, the atomic bombs, in his opinion, and their discoloration of the sky and of all things that are about to happen. And he says that in this day, then you will know that you are in that day, the terrible day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, it shall come to pass that all who call on the name of Yahweh shall be delivered. Joel 2.32 All who call on the name of Yahweh Yahshua shall be delivered. If this is not an if or an and, it is an assurance that as you call on the name of Yahweh, that basically you will be delivered. We will say, as the psalmist did in the 18th Psalm, the Lord is my rock, he is my fortress, he is my deliverer, my Yahweh, my strength in whom will I trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon Yahweh, Yahshua, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So the Most High answers in this era, and he says, I will deliver thee in that day, and thou shalt not be given into the hands of the men of whom thou art afraid. For I will deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith Yahweh. 
Here Swift is paraphrasing the 18th Psalm. And in other sermons of which I have recordings, he had used the traditional English terms, Lord, God, and Jesus, rather than the transliterated names Yahweh and Yahshua. So Ella Rose Mast must have taken the liberty of using the names in these transcriptions as Gene Snyder had also done with the transcriptions of the Compare sermons which she had made. Continuing with Swift, thus, and their attacks on you, then you need not be afraid, nor shall they, and we use the word they, because you do not know that this is one of the most interesting situations. Esquire had a unique article this month on they. It is a complete expose of the Jews. From anything they have ever done right on down to the finance of the international conspiracy in the areas of communism and banking and of every factor they have ever been committed to. It is all there, and their nozzles, the Jewish noses, I gather, are around the tub of the magazine. There they are. Thus, this month's Esquire has this article of this peculiar pattern. No one has signed their name to the article, but nevertheless, it is in the magazine. I looked for this article this afternoon, and I came up blank. I would love to have the January 1965 issue of Esquire, if indeed that is the correct month. And this magazine says, when you hear the right wing say they, it is these Jews they are talking about. They are the ones exposed as you study communism, and all of these things which are wrong that the right wing is pointed out. When you get through with the exposure, they are in the right spot. Ella Rose Mast, when she transcribed this sermon, enclosed each occurrence of the word they, which refers to the Jews, with three dots or periods. Perhaps that is where the alt-right originally got the idea for what they call the echo, or the enclosure of a word used in that same sense with three sets of parentheses. Here we have only capitalized each of these occurrences, having removed the three dots. Continuing with Swift, he explains a challenge which we still face today so we can see how long it has been ongoing in modern times. <laughs> Now, in this instance, we talk about they, because they seem to have a lot of influence and in a large area of operation. But I am going to tell you that the right wing possesses its soul as it continues to point out who they are. <clears throat> but I can tell you that we are going to continue to point them out. For you should never stop pointing them out, even though someone always says, but that is hate. No, it is not hate. It is hatred of what they do. And it is essentially a program which is necessary for people to understand. 
if we were to hold back on the truth, then it would be more of a disaster as more people would be swept down the road to socialism and communism without knowing what it was all about. But today, even labor is beginning to flare up as they see the cause of some of their problems as the money is being withdrawn from behind the areas of their finance, meaning industry in America is no longer being invested in. And the operations which have cost them more and more taxes have at the same time been moving out of areas of their production. As they see this, they're going to call for a new status of survival, and this will be an era of great upheaval. But it never happened. America was deindustrialized without a whimper. Now it says that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And it declares that in this instance, they have taken my gold and my silver and the goodly things away from you. Then I am going to move on them, a reference to God. So we cite, or perhaps said, this deliverance comes in the hour when the people of the Most High call for deliverance. Swift has been speaking in reference to Joel chapter 3 in a passage where Tyre and Sidon are the subjects. But as it was in Ezekiel chapters 27 and 28, those cities represented the seats of the merchants of the time. And it is they to whom Swift was referring, so the reference is appropriate. Now he continues. In the book of Malachi, the Lord speaks out again, citing Malachi 3.16. They that loved the Lord spoke often to one another, and the Lord hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written for him, for him that for them that loved him, and thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my jewels, meaning people, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son, because these are my household, these are my sons and my daughters, and I will spare them. Then ye shall return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves Yahweh and him that serves him not. This passage is also appropriate and relates to our own time. If only Swift had foreseen the popularity of sodomy in the LGBTQ movement, he might have cited more of Malachi chapter 3. So I will, from verse 14. <laughs> Ye have said, it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now, because it was vain to serve Yahweh, and now we call the proud happy. This is the King James Version. And now we call the proud happy. Yeah, they that work wickedness are set up. Yeah. In other words, the wicked are elevated in society. 
Yeah, that they, they that tenth God are even delivered, meaning the wicked, the tenth God, who are set up in society, seem to be saved or preserved. Today we have gay pride, which certainly is calling the proud happy as they take pride in their sin. So Malachi is right on the money. Then Malachi continues. Then they that feared Yahweh spoke often to one another, and Yahweh hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves not. Then we have the proverbial day of the rope. Swift thought this culminated among identity Christians in the 1960s. But now, 55 years later, the same situation is exasperated and the impending fulfillment of the prophecy is clear. Now Swift returns to Joel. Joel 3.18 For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, those gay pride sons of bitches, and all the proud, yeah, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that comes shall burn them up, saith Yahweh of hosts, and it shall leave of them neither branch nor root. Now, this is talking about the intenseness of this hour. And of course, the Jews and the Negroes are all just as proud today as the Sodomites are. For unto you that love my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall grow forth, go forth and grow as the light that he has protected his household. And you shall tread down the wicked. We point out to you that in this hour that God shall call upon his sons and daughters to be counted. We have an era of liberty and the freedom in this nation. And on the 4th of July in 1776, we were 2,520 years from the date when Manasseh went into captivity. It was the day we came out of the captivity as a nation. And we have had areas of liberty and areas of freedom, which are guaranteed under our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. We have the right to remain armed in our own household, although they are trying to tell us today that we are such an advanced nation, that we don't need any arms to defend ourselves. And this is how old the anti-gun propaganda is, which has always been instigated by the Jews. But we will continue with Wesley Swift. Let me tell you something. There are more wild beasts walking the streets of Los Angeles today than ever walked the forests of our nation. Thus, the right wing says, you must protect your household, and we urge you to get weapons and learn how to use them. Become proficient in using them. 
because this is an American heritage that shouldn't be allowed to die down, because you may have to defend your home and your nation. Communists, swift thinking along the paradigms of the Cold War, communists may come in out of the sky, or land on our shores, or rise up inside your nation, which is exactly what happened, and you will need protection. You would think that this would be heralded as a fine thing, as we have been this way for years. But when Mr. Depew formed the Minutemen, that was in 1961, and I will link the Wikipedia article, or other patriotic groups moved out and formed organizations of defense, and then came a huge cry against them. Not the people, they just stood around and listened. It was officialdom, speaking out against these patriotic people. They talked about the fallacious pattern of these right-wingers saying that they had cannons, and they even had anti-tank guns, but it was just a hoop de I guess that's a word Swift used to describe a lot of noise, because very few of these people had cannons or anti-tank guns, and it wasn't even against the law if they wanted to keep them, for they had as much right to keep them as they did an old automobile. The fact is that this is the avenue by which they, meaning the Jews, attacked and said these weapons should be taken from these people. But who said this? It is again they, the left-wingers, whether he be an attorney general, a law officer, or investigator in a city, or whether he is in the ranks of police officials, when they are in this area and are denying an American citizen the things which are rights and are working to take it away from him, with disarmament conferences and areas of these things, then these people are a hazard to the United States. Swift saw black and white like left and right, and, and perhaps the lines were drawn more sharply in his days than they are now except that Barry Goldwater was a conservative. A little later, Swift will mention him again in a positive light, and I will comment on it there. Swift did apparently practice what he preached at the Wesley Swift Archive at Christagenia, and I will link it here, is a reproduction of an article from the Milwaukee Journal dated December 26, 1976 which is titled, Arms Cash Clue May Lie in the Grave. Evidently, eight tons of arms were found buried in the desert near Los Angeles, and it was speculated that Wesley Swift was connected to the cash. The article claims that Swift was warning people of coming communists, and it says the communists never showed up. But from the overall tone of the article, its authors actually don't realize that they themselves were the communists which Swift was warning about. Most people today 
do not even realize how communist principles and doctrines have infected Americans because they don't even know what communism is. Returning to his sermon, Swift says, now why are they, meaning the Jews, why are they worried? Well, they say these right-wingers may explode someday. Maybe a leader will rise up and say, the day is now. And then they tell us that these right-wingers are going to escape and overthrow the communists, and that is against the law. Now, isn't that a terrible thing for the right-wingers to contemplate? I'm going to tell you that if a communist paratrooper starts coming down, they will be met with a hail of fire such as they never saw before. And if Negro riots erupt from Watts and try to move out into white areas of population, they will also be met with a hail of fire. So they are speaking out and saying, this thing must not be. Of course, it didn't culminate with the Cold War. And it does not any longer seem that Negro riots... Negro riots will ever be met with a hail of bullets from the people because today most people worship Negroes and are completely cowed by them, by Jewry, by the controlled media. But today we hear in the media once again and in certain areas of government that white nationalists are behind all of the shootings and that white supremacists are a threat to national security. But it is not true at all. And nearly all mass shootings in America have been perpetrated by Arabs, by Jews, by leftists, by teenagers on mind-altering prescription drugs, and other assorted lunatics. Speaking only for Florida, I have written recently, I have recently written an article on that subject, and it's available at freeflorida.org, and I will also link that with this program. Continuing with Swift, but God said, you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day. He also said, a thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand and no harm will come to you. Now, someone says that that cannot be proved. Yes, it can be proved. Remember Sergeant York in World War I. Well, my friends, that will be a small thing when we move out against the enemy of our God and our enemy as well. The declaration is, you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. And I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. I shall send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and terrible day of the Lord. Here Swift had paraphrased parts of Malachi chapter 4, which is also appropriate in this context. He continues to cite that chapter appropriately. What is the purpose, as this is the, as, as this is Christian identity, this is the Christian identity message. He says, what is the purpose? 
he is going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The house of Israel must become aware of the destruction that is being done in our colleges and in our universities to corrupt and capture our youth and to pervert and twist them into the total objective of their cause there and that should also be all capitalized. Or America is finished. Now, we can say that this has long been accomplished, and America, as Swift knew it, is finished. He also saw another trend which we see has prevailed today. And he says, their program is mongrelization. Now, this is 1965, the marrying of whites to Negroes was extremely rare. The marrying of whites to Hispanics and prairie niggers or American Indians was not quite as rare, but it was still rare. And it was all prohibited in many states in the Union until the 1950s. Their program is mongrelization, intermarriage, and the destruction of the culture of God's kingdom. But God speaks out and he says, before that is done, I am going to turn the heart of the fathers to this situation, and they are going to rise up and start getting rid of these teachers and professors. I am going to say that it is a shame that in these United States, that we have a left-wing professor on the staff of any college in the United States. Today, they are all left-wing. Any true right-winger, if I have to use those terms, any true right-winger from 1965 would consider practically every single professor or teacher on the staff of any college in the United States or any high school as left wing. The political center has shifted drastically to the left since 1965. What was once considered moderate is now considered right wing extremist, like the Family Research Council, anti abortion people basic Christians, not even Nazis, basic Christians who don't believe in abortion or gay marriage are being considered right-wing extremists today by these fucking Jews, by this ADL and this SPLC. So they have shifted the entire political spectrum to the left so that they could demonize more and more of Wesley Swift's right wing. And he's counting a great number of Americans in that right wing, because in 1965, the preponderance of America would not put up with anything that's going on today. Today, they are all left wing. Swift's hope was that Yahweh would intervene before things got to the point where they are today. 
so that the America which he knew could be salvaged. I remember New Jersey as it was in 1965, and it was indeed a different world than it is today, but it was already well down the path to spiritual corruption, so it certainly could not be salvaged. We must therefore have a different outlook, although the encouragement of the gospel and the promises of a day of deliverance remain certain. So Swift continues. When we turn to the areas of this operation, we find that the ADL and the Benai Brith are one of the worst offenders. When it comes to speaking out against Negroes and their riots, they tell us that we are to get what we are to get is what we have earned and more. In other words, white society should be overrun by Negroes and riots. That we should surrender our finances to them. That we should restore everything they burned down and then get ready to let them burn it again. They tell us we will have a long, hot summer. But I tell you that if we have a long, hot summer, then it will be because the Jews have made it a long, hot summer. It will be because they have incited and stirred up these demagogues who in turn have stirred up the Negroes into the areas of their destruction. Now, this was 1965, and Negro riots would not be in full swing in many parts of the country until... 1967 and 1968, but Swift evidently foresaw that. We continue. The nations of God's kingdom have given to the world, and we have developed the areas of its industry. We have developed the areas of its production and created payrolls in Africa and in Asia. We have provisioned the established right that people can provide for themselves when they have wisdom and knowledge and intelligence. But it is evident today that this wisdom, knowledge, and intelligence happens to belong to the white man. And when the white man pulls out of an area, then they don't know how to operate. They don't have enough food to feed but about one-third of India. They don't know how to operate. They multiply and increase beyond their measure and end up out of work and food, and yet they tell us that they have an ancient culture which is better than ours. They embrace an area of communism in their masses, and their leaders tell us that they face war on two fronts. By the way, there was an earthquake in the Congo. It was pretty bad. About 90 people were killed as the earth opened and closed, and then opened and closed again. It didn't affect the areas of the white settlements of the Congo, however. We point out that this is just another measure. And I didn't look up that earthquake, but the next one he describes, I sought and really couldn't find, and I will discuss that. Then in Asia, out in the areas of Mongolia and into the steppes, Naskins, I don't know what is meant by that. As I said, Ella Rose Mast didn't understand a lot of what Swift said, so when she encountered a word like that, she simply tried to spell it phonetically. Naskins was a city of one and a half million people, and we told you that on the 26th of April that you could look for this in the Asiatic area. Well, it hit this city 
and virtually broken apart, and it devastated one half of the city. It loosed missiles loaded with poison gas, which they were making in preparation for the great war they hoped to spring on you. At this time, Mongolia was, I believe, under the control of the USSR, I think. I do not know what Mongolian city was meant here, where Eller Rose Mass described the word Naskins, or transcribed the word as Naskins, N-A-S-K-I-N-S. That's kind of strange. It's not the name of any Mongolian city. Mongolia does have a history of large magnitude earthquakes, several of which occurred over the years leading up to the time of the sermon but none of which hit an area with any significant population. If the date provided for this sermon is wrong, if it was actually given later than 1965, a possibility which cannot be ruled out, then in January of 1966 in Tashkent, there was an earthquake in a city which meets this description very well. However, that happened in January and not in April, and Tashkent is in Uzbekistan, nearly 1,200 miles from the Mongolian border. Otherwise, I have no idea what earthquake Swift is describing. So we continue. Then last Tuesday, they shook it again, and they said that what was not shaken down on the 26th, came down on last Tuesday. These great factories and people's homes were simply swallowed up as the earth opened up. And then they have had 300 earthquakes from then until the one they had yesterday. So there is practically nothing left of that city which was carrying out its area of warfare against you. No wonder that God said, I will make the earth fight for you as it had fought for Israel in the past. And this only seems to be an allusion to Revelation chapter 12. Again, we continue with Swift. He uses the supernatural, I'm sorry, he uses the natural forces of nature to fight for you. Thus we are in the hour when God is stirring up the spirit of Elijah and it is moving out upon ministers and upon leaders, and among the right wing in these United States. And we are not ashamed to cite that we are right-wingers, because we are aware and we do know that this fits the pattern of God's declaration. How do we get out of this hour? The day of deliverance is coming upon us. So how do we know when it has arrived? Well, you are going to hear a mighty trumpet sound, and you are going to know that the day has arrived. I don't think it will be that literal. It will be just as simple as that. We turn over to the book of Revelations, and we find that it will be just that way. Revelations chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. For I heard an angel sounding the fourth voice of the everlasting gospel. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and sea and the foundations of waters. 
This is to the children of the kingdom who are intent upon worshiping the only true Yahweh, the God of Israel, the only one on the face of the earth. And so by this declaration, then another angel said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city which made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now he's jumped from Revelation chapter 14 to Revelation chapter 18. I would express caution over that, but that's Wesley Swift. And the third angel said, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his heart, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever, and they have no rest night or day, they who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Then he quotes verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yahshua. And Jesus is in parentheses. So I don't know if Ella Rose Mass did that. I suspect it. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yeah, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And then I looked and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like under the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the crowd, on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. I would advise caution where Swift skips around from Revelation chapter 14 to Revelation chapter 18 and back again. But the overall sense of his presentation is true and appropriate. So he says, <clears throat> all right, the harvest of the earth, not of the kingdom. And so in this time then, he who sat on a cloud thrust in his sickle, and the earth was reaped. Then an angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of 6,600 furlongs. And this Revelation 14, I believe, is what has been ongoing for several centuries, and I explain that in Christreich, my commentary on a revelation, I could not possibly explain it here. But Smith, Wesley Swift is applying this to the end of the age. Now, I don't believe this is applicable to the end of the age. I think it explains the last several hundred years of history, 
the battle at the end of the age is found in Revelation chapter 19. But that's okay. This is Wesley Swift, and we can forgive him. The scenario that he is trying to set up is indeed appropriate of the end of the age. So he says, Thus we have the story of the climax of the age. We have the day of deliverance in the name of the Most High God, and I'm going to cite to you that while the forces of darkness are being engaged in the conflict with the hosts of the Most High God, that whereas this is in Revelations, is in symbolism, still the hosts of the Most High God come in with vast fleets, and the mighty hosts of heaven for one hour. And we are told that it is within this hour that it shall be that the hosts of darkness are to be picked up. In fact, the time of the tares is like that. He takes the tares out first. You're going to find that there will be a lot of missing people, but you aren't going to miss them because you don't need them. He is going to take the tares out first. Of course, there are many who do not believe that God is going to take out the tares. But he is, and I believe that Clifton Emmeheiser also taught a miraculous removal of tares. I don't quite see it <coughs> in that same manner that the battle described in Revelation chapter 19 is a little more difficult and involved than tares simply disappearing. Of course, this coronavirus, if this is even related to the removal of the tares, over a third of the people who have it in the United States are in New York City, where they belong. Too bad all of New York doesn't get it. Every last bastard in New York City, maybe excepting the five or six Irishmen who still might be living there. I'm just jesting, of course, but I think that it's appropriate. Continuing with Swift. Of course, there are many who do not believe that God is going to take out the tares, but he is. He is going to gather them up with his administering spirits and his living angelic hosts. Now, that's more like it. And his sons and daughters as well. He is going to take out the tares first, and thus all of these patterns are the beginning of the climax of the end of the age. We cite to you that you do not need to be ashamed to admit that you are a right-winger. Today we would use different language, of course. Because in this day, they have created semantics themselves, and they, meaning the Jews, have said that a conservative is not red, that a conservative is against communism, and that is what we are. Therefore, they say that we are right-wingers and they don't want to be on the extreme left, but maybe in the middle. But I am going to tell you that it will be the extreme right that will, not, that will save not the middle. Swift is trying to describe the shift in the political spectrum which I had mentioned earlier, which makes the extreme leftists of the 1960s makes them look as if they are centrists and moderates today. That's exactly how far it shifted.
So the area of extremism is a very significant thing. We can turn to Barry Goldwater, who gave a good definition of extremism as he cited that it was virtually extremism when it was on the right side of virtue. We point out to you that you cannot be too right in this instance of the battle against the policies and the pattern of destruction. Perhaps Swift did not know that Barry Goldwater was a Jew, or perhaps he was only citing him objectively. In any case, we, wish, we should not look to Barry Goldwater for anything except to see that just as the Jews control the Republicans today, the so-called conservatives of today, and even the illusion of an alt-right dissident faction today, they also sought to control the right of Swift's time as well. Today, we even have crypto-Jew so-called Christian identity pastors, especially from Chicago, Missouri, and Atlanta. Continuing again with Swift, he continues to refer to Jews as they. They would destroy your youth. They would destroy your production, your economy, your military, your air fleets without a battle. Yeah, they would use fear porn like coronavirus to do that exact thing. And then deliver you by a total pacifist surrender into the hands of your enemy. Now, I'm not trying to be a prophet. Maybe this will all just go away in a few weeks. But it seems to me to be exactly what is going on now. And what has gone on in different ways during many crises of the past, like the the Patriot Act that was pushed through Congress as soon as 9-11 happened. <clears throat> in fact, <clears throat> I'm sorry. In fact, today we have committee after committee that actually have taken thousands of dollars, thousands, how about billions, out of the Treasury of the United States that are engaged in all kinds of plans as to how to disarm you. Actually, we should close that up for the next 20 years because we don't need an organization telling us how to disarm. We need someone to tell us how to turn our plowshares back into swords and our pruning hooks back into spears because we're going to stand off the Northern Army. Lucifer's children. This is the declaration of the Most High God. In the prophets, it was called the Northern army because it referred to the Assyrians and Babylonians who had come from the north, but there are dual fulfillments to a lot of those prophecies, so the prophecies apply to the last days in different ways than they apply to the end of the old kingdom of Israel. If you read the prophets, you'll see the patterns the patterns are all the same today. So in Ezekiel chapter 38, in 
and unfulfilled prophecy, the armies that come against Israel are described as coming from the north. They were coming from Ezekiel's north, but they're not arriving from our north. There is a difference, but that's fine. Now, continuing with Swift. Now, we are not afraid to proclaim the truth because we speak the word of God, because we know God will defend his word. We know that in that hour, when the enemy rises, that the judgment of God comes in and moves, that we recognize that the judgments of God are going to move and the head of the enemy is going to be totally and completely destroyed. In fact, in this nation, we are going to see one of the greatest divisions of society that the world has ever seen because the enemy will be destroyed in the great nation of God's kingdom. Today, we see that division more clearly than ever. But most Americans are still sleeping and caught in the middle, while at the same time, they have unwittingly accepted the plan of the devil as they race mix, as they accept sodomy, and as they worship beasts disguised as athletes, actors, or under other pretenses or costumes. Now, Swift imagined that wealthy Jews had already considered America a danger in his time and were relocating. And he said, already they are moving out. They are moving down to Rio de Janeiro and to Mexico. They have a lot of wealth or think they do because they have taken our gold and silver and put it over in Tel Aviv. And they have all this paper money. But let me tell you something. One of these days, they will discover that the paper they have is not wealth because we will set up a paper that will be United States money once again. And thus we stand at the crisis of the hour. Congress is thinking twice before they go ahead with new projects because of the disturbance of the people. As the people are disturbed, they speak out against this area of fallacy and this design to give away our strength and our greatness and being absorbed by the world. And here, Swift expresses the vain hope, a vain hope in the concept of America once again. And this is certainly before Johnson introduced his great society in 1967, when the roof was blown off of government spending and the issue of Federal Reserve currency, and the result was runaway inflation. But he continues, we are being told that this is a great thing. It is a wonderful thing, and we must become a part of a wonderful one world. I'm going to tell you that you are not to become a part of the world. Your nation is to be a part of the program of God's kingdom, and that is the important thing. And the kingdom of God is going to inherit the earth. And the saints, believing offspring of the Most High God, are going to take possession of the kingdom and reign forever and ever. The Ancient of Days, the Eternal One, the One who said, I am the Alpha and Omega, Lord God Almighty, and he says it is enough. When he calls for this climactic point of view, he has given us the signs in the sky, the measure of existence, and we are in the hours of his judgment. And I'm going to tell you that it is later than you think. In other words, at his time as he speaks. Even as the summer drums of the jungle Mau Mau 
beats out in the streets of California and even from Baltimore to Philadelphia and from Chicago to Detroit and from Richmond and on to California. These are declarations of war from our enemy. When this happens, you are on the road to finality, plus the fact that we are in a, an area of great decision, and it is one which we should be very cautious about. In fact, I think it is time for the United States to look with great clarity at our relationship with Israeli. Of course, that was impossible even in Swift's day, but he had high hopes and saw America as the kingdom of God, and America, the concept, will be gone by the time the kingdom of God arrives. I guarantee it. Today, we note in the new week. Now, I think that might have been a reference to the magazine Newsweek. I'm not sure. In the new week of last week, that Sammy Jackson spoke out and said he was glad that Roosevelt was not alive. Because if Roosevelt had been alive, he would never have recognized Israeli. He said that Roosevelt was waking up because Ibn Saud had told him that Israeli was not Israel and had told him who the Jews were. And for the first time he heard that the white nations were Israel and Roosevelt believed this. So Roosevelt gave to Ibn Saud a beautifully carved or engraved dagger. And on that dagger, plus a savage rifle, which was also engraved, it said, to a prince of Israel, from the president of the United States, the house of Manasseh. Now, if Roosevelt was saying that to Ibn Saud, he was speaking a lie to a Jew, because Ibn Saud, I'm sure, was a crypto-Jew. But perhaps Swift was being creative here, as he often was. There was a meeting between Roosevelt and Ibn Saud, the king of Saudi Arabia, in 1945. But reports are that Ibn Saud had given Roosevelt a dagger and a sword, among other gifts, other gifts, well, Roosevelt gave the aging Saud a wheelchair, two machine guns, and an airplane. But none of the reports have anything to say about these alleged inscriptions. The dagger now resides at the FDR Library and Museum in Hyde Park, New York. Roosevelt met with Saud to assure American access to Saudi oil reserves and to encourage him to accept Jewish immigration from Europe into Palestine, which he continued to oppose. Continuing with Swift. All right, we don't have too much to say about Roosevelt, except that he got smarter as he got older. That I doubt. They used a little haberdasher, President Truman to recognize Israeli. When the Jews came in, they told him they were the chosen people, and he didn't know any better because his Baptist minister didn't tell him any different, since he didn't know any better either. But the Jews said, those who bless us will be blessed, and those who hinder us will be cursed. And if you don't recognize little Israeli, then you won't be president again. So Truman 
without consulting the State Department or Great Britain, recognized the little state of Israeli, and we as a nation were committed to Israeli. I did not study the politics behind the event, but it is evident that even Eisenhower, who was in all likelihood a crypto-Jew himself, may have displayed some degree of courage to oppose the Israeli seizure of the Suez Canal. But perhaps he was only doing that on behalf of even greater Jewish interests here in America. That's a possibility. Returning to Swift, did you know that even today Israeli is working and planning for the seizure of the Mosque of Omar, that's the Dome of the Rock, and the erection of a holy temple, the fabled third temple, but it would really be the fourth temple. So they claim they are going to build a temple to the Most High God. Swift was a Freemason, at least at one time. And this is also the objective of Freemasonry. Now he answers, although we ourselves would not expect another stone temple dedicated to Yahweh as he apparently did. And he says, well, God is going to have a temple, all right, but it is going to be in a new Jerusalem. It will be a historical memorial to that land of Palestine after he has leveled that land and after he has set a great earthquake there and wiped it out and removed the people because the abomination of the desolator are now in that place. Do you know that we are selling fighter aircraft to Israeli because they claim they need them for defense? Well, this is no time for selling any of this equipment to Israeli because Israeli is planning an invasion of the Arab states. Well, we are in the time of the end. We are in the day of the Lord. We are in the hour when you will see these things come to pass, and you will know that as these things happen, the hour is upon you. So even Wesley Swift based his view of eschatology on events surrounding Palestine when they should have been based exclusively on events surrounding true Israel, the white Christian nations. While Yahweh promises to destroy Esau, while he promises to throw down everything the Edomites build in Palestine, we don't know exactly in the time scale of, of the day of Yahweh's wrath, when that's going to happen. But we should only be concerned with how Yahweh deals with true Israel. And the events of Revelation chapters 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22 deal with true Israel and the destruction of his enemies as well. But the fall of Babylon must come first. So Palestine is probably not going to have anything to do with that. Returning again to Swift. While the summer gets warm here, the summer and fall are being planned by the Israelis to be warm for their Arab neighbors. Her neighbors are aware of this, and Russia says she will back the Arabs, then cut them short and suddenly they won't have anything to fight with. 
So the Arab states are being betrayed in their resistance because the Jewish banks run Russia and the areas of dispersion throughout the world. They are handling more money every day, handling the money of Europe, of the world banks, and the areas of the United Nations with its World Bank, and we are the victims of this great program of evil. Swift was right that Jews controlled the Soviet Union, and they still control Russia today. Now he moves towards his conclusion, and also notice that Ellerose Mass did not always substitute the traditional English words with the sacred name of Yahweh. So although we would call upon Yahweh, we will leave them here as we found them. The hour of deliverance is the thing for which we should pray. Do you realize that every white man in America should pray, Lord, send us deliverance? Do you know that we are told that when we call upon the name of the Lord for deliverance, that we shall be delivered? Well, then we should be calling upon the name of the Lord for this deliverance. We should name our enemy and call for judgment to fall upon them and call for deliverance in a mighty way. After all, these devils do not belong here anyway, and God can deal with their spirits much better when he gets them in their own dimensions. Swift had some beliefs which were quite esoteric, to say the least. The apostles inform us that the Jews are twice dead. They, Jews again, they have brought havoc to God's kingdom. But he cites that in this hour, you will arise and take a stand in God's kingdom. This was 1965, if Wesley Swift could only see 2020, or even 2005, or 1985, how bad things have gotten. And in this hour, you will crush the wicked which are among you. And so, it is not an area which we would give to much description, except to say that when the day of the Lord comes, then reinforcements are coming down from above, and they are coming up from beneath, and the war is on. Make no mistake about it, the day of deliverance is close at hand. They shall attempt to deliver you to the synagogues and to the prisons. But God said, if you speak out the words that I put in your mouth and do not try to hide or to cover it up, but instead denounce the evil and the source from whence it comes, they won't even touch a hair of your head. Swift is being a little fast and loose here, but I agree with the major points. So I am going to tell you that it will be a day of courage, of greatness, and a day of deliverance. For if we did not have a deliverance and an awakened people to throw off the whole yoke which comes out of the areas of Babylon, we would long be gone down the road to darkness, for we are going at a terrific rate. 1965, I mean, come on, it's greatly accelerated now. But the day of deliverance is upon us. And that is, even though we were actually far from the day of deliverance in 1965, we should always act as if the day of deliverance is upon us. Swift concludes, 
even though the majority of our nation is moving into the area of the right wing, that was in 1965, but no longer today, they still don't, and this is why, they still don't have the press, the television, or the radio for communication. They are listening constantly to the minority which speak as though they have all the power when they do not, the Jews. God will awaken those in your midst as well as bring forth those who understand and know in that day. So let us call upon the name of God for deliverance, yeah, upon the name of Yahweh, who is the deliverer. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding the end of the age when it finally arrives, this aspect of Swift's message is timeless, and therefore it shall always be correct, and the correct thing for Christians to do. Yahweh is our Savior. Yahweh shall keep us from harm so long as we put our trust in Him and not in the government or any other idols. And so long as we seek out one another for community and not the strangers. So long as we resist evil. But another aspect of Swift Sermon is this. It is dangerous to engage in newspaper eschatology. Newspaper eschatology is the title of a program I did, I think, back in 2011. I will link it here in my text. It is dangerous to engage in newspaper eschatology or to distribute end-of-the-world fear porn. Swift, <clears throat> reading the headlines of his time, thought the end to be immediately imminent. Now, 65 years later, our condition is far worse than it was then, and it is still not the end, or so we think. And I should say, I think, 55 years later. I'm sorry. And if we do not think that the beginning of the end may be this coronavirus pandemic, well, it may be another 55 years before some other significant disaster comes along and someone else is hoping to hear the sound of the final trumpet. Until the final trumpet really sounds, Christ is our only hope, and whether we live or we die, we should glorify him, because in him we shall all ultimately live. And there should be no doubt about that. So regardless of the pandemic, regardless of what our enemies are doing, regardless of what we read in the newspapers, regardless of who drops dead around us, Christians shouldn't fear. We should only put our hope in God and kind of hope that at least most of the people that drop dead around us are bastards and Jews, because I'm sure that they will be when the time comes. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. Thank you for listening. Good night.